Hi everybody, this is Steve Hargudon and it's Tuesday, August 18th, 2009. With me are Howard Reingold, our guest today, and Teresa Betha, the Conversations.net interns slash co-host. We have a short amount of time tonight, just 25 minutes, so we're going to move through our intro slides fairly quickly. Here's a nice picture of Howard. We'll bring him back in just one second. He is, uh, it's very fun to have you here tonight, Howard. Coming up on conversations.net and futureofeducation.com on August 20th, which is in two days, Gary Small, whose book is called iBrain. Next week, Tim Westergren, who founded Pandora in early September, Manny Hernandez, who wrote the book Ning for Dummies, and we'll talk about Ning and specialized educational networks. Jane Nelson on Parenting 2.0, uh, also in September, Ann Gilleran from eTwinning, John C.D. Brown on the 22nd, and then Dennis Litke on October 6th. Still to be scheduled but committed are Clay Shirky, Doc Searles, Dana Boyd, Tim Magner, David Thornburg, and Esther Wazisky. Now, I looked up the pronunciation of her name. I'm not sure, I'm still not sure I'm saying that correctly. So, with, with uh, apologies to Esther. Uh, tonight's show is, of course, sponsored by Illuminate and Learn Central. Please go to learncentral.org to see what we're doing there. We think it's a lot of fun. And if you'd like to hold your own interview series, you can do so for free. So that's learncentral.org. If this is your first time in Illuminate, there are some buttons we want to make sure that you know about. To raise your hand in the Q&A, there is a hand with a green arrow up button at the bottom of the participant window. You'll also see some emoticons there for smiling, clapping, showing confusion, or disapproval. The clapping is our favorite one. You can clap for Howard at appropriate moments. Uh, you can chat. The chat window allows you to chat with others. It also allows you to send a private chat, some of you will discover. But do know that those of us who are moderators see all chats, even the private ones. Okay, and then to your right is the whiteboard, which I'm going to give you all permission to use right now. And we're going to look at a map of the world. And you'll see a little wand with a red star at the end of it. Click on that and then click on the map to let us know where you're listening from. And if you're coming in from somewhere exotic, please do put a shout out in the chat to let us know uh, where you are. And maybe the time and temperature too. I'm coming from sunny Hawaii today. Oh, I clicked on the wrong spot. Okay, and if you're in the United States, go ahead and click on this map and let us know where you are in the United States. Okay, Howard, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know your time is precious. We do have just a half an hour. I want to welcome you to uh, this meeting. It is an interactive meeting. So if the chat confuses you, I don't think it will. I think you have lots of experience in this area. But if the chat confuses you, feel free to ignore it. And I'll pick up questions that come in through the chat. So I read uh, good portions of Smart Mobs on the plane flight over here on to come on vacation. And I couldn't put it down. In fact, I probably marked it up as much as any book I've uh, ever read. Um, you wrote that book in 2002. Would you kind of put that in context of your life work and then um, give us an understanding of where you are now? I'm not hearing you, so I think you have to turn your mic on. 
I started out to be a writer when I was 23, and I spent at least the first 10 years in a room alone with a, a typewriter. So I originally got drawn into where we have ended up now because I heard you could write with computers. So I'm a, an, an enthusiastic user of mind amplifying tools and became enthusiastic about that aspect of personal computer technology and then social communication online uh, very early as a, a user. And it, it happened that being a writer, this was grist for the mill. Now, of course, we, we have a lot of other media that we can ex use to express ourselves. So I think of myself as a communicator and not just a writer. But the short answer is a, as a, a tool user. And then I began getting interested in where do these tools come from and where are they going to. So I, I developed, I think, a kind of a sense of, OK, here's something that's coming along. These are the early indicators of something that's, that's going to be a big change. If you think about com personal computers when I wrote Tools for Thought in 1985, or communicating online when I wrote, I first wrote about virtual communities in 1987, those were, were small groups of enthusiasts using laughably, pathetically puny technologies uh, that, that have evolved very, very quickly. So when I saw people using SMS and began to sense that the personal computer, the internet, and the, and the mobile phone were beginning to emerge in, into something. This was actually in around 2000 and 2001 when I was observing that. It seemed to me that we were at the beginning of something as important and building on those, those previous things. So that's where smart mobs came from. There's more to say about what, where the smart mobs idea came from to talk about what this wave meant. But that, that's kind of the, the fast story of the overall context. So a lot of smart waves was about so the use of mobile technology. And you identified these, or I think you call them trigger moments, where you saw something and you realized this is going to be significant. It's going to change human behavior in some way. So you, and clearly, you were way ahead of the curve in terms of SMS messaging and the use of cell phones in that way. Are you seeing triggers now where you're feeling that same sense of, I, I can kind of see what's coming in five or 10 years? Um, I should I should probably look for the link to put it into the, the chat, but really this has gone back quite a, a ways. When I first started writing about my enthusiasm about computers as mind amplifiers, and then again my enthusiasm about virtual communities, about social communication online, what are now called social media, I, I was posed a question by critics immediately and by Eventually, by scholars, I didn't realize this would be a field of scholarship when I started reporting on it. And throughout this process, by myself, and the question being, are these tools and these media, these PCs, this use of the internet for social communication, and now the untethering of these tools with the mobile phone and the, the colonization of the rest of our lives by all of these media, are these, are these good for us as individuals? for our minds, for, for the way we think, for how we deploy our attention, as for our interpersonal relationships, for communities, and, and in the larger 
sphere in, in for the health of democracy and civilization, if you want to get grandiose about it. And I've become convinced recently, over the last couple of years, it's been growing on me that what's very important now is that the answer to those questions is that it depends on what people know. And I think we do have some time in which what people do and what people know really matters and in, in, in what this will all add up to. And I think it's entirely possible that we will end up being distracted, alienated, fragmented, spammed, and overwhelmed by, by noise that people aren't able to find their way through. Um, or, as you and I and probably everyone else participating in this has, has felt, we have a wonderful new opportunities for, for people to, to teach and, and learn and to organize events in the real world. I think the next five or ten years are really going to determine which way it's going to be looked upon, whether it was beneficial to get sucked into all this technology or not. So what that boils down to is literacy. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, of skills, what you need to know to, to, to read and write in a medium, but also the social aspect of it, because the skills we're talking about are intimately connected with social communication. So you talk in the book about technique. You talk in the book about technique, which is a phrase that comes from some research related to how a system sort of fulfills itself to its ultimate end. And I get the sense that that's counterbalanced against the Amish quote of, uh, it's not just how we use technology that concerns us, but we're concerned about the kind of people we become when we use the technology. And then you identify what you feel are some, some visible threats to our uh, liberty or quality of life and human dignity. Do you feel differently about them than you felt in 2002? I, I feel more urgently the, the need to, for, for people to learn how to use these media and why we need to learn to, to use these media rather than being used by them, manipulated by others, and ultimately the, the system controlled by others rather than, than many. I, I, I feel much more of a sense of urgency. I, I think that there's a magical thinking that happens to all of us when, when we discover the real amplification and augmentation that these media um, enable for us. The, the shadow sides always take a while. The price that we have to pay, uh, like the price we paid for the automobile, sometimes takes decades or, or centuries to emerge. So I think it's much more clear now that along with all of the beneficial effects. We're, we're, we're seeing power react to counterpower. The democratization of media has, has led to a reaction by those who hold power to, to control media, to use them to surveil and, and manipulate. So I, I, I really, I don't want to paint this as a struggle between good and evil. I think it's a, a struggle between the, the somewhat um, unconscious power that, that humans are very good at unleashing. We're so much better at, at creating levers for amplifying our power than in forecasting what's that going to do to us? What kind of people are we going to become? What are, what are we doing to, to other people? So I, I, I just glanced over at the, the, uh, the chat for a second and there was some, 
notes about media literacy. I think that media literacy is indeed part of it. I, I talked, I'm going to go hunt up that, uh, that URL um, next time you talk, um, but, but um, I'm concentrating on a number of, of literacies, attention, participation, uh, collaboration, crap detection, or if, if you want to talk more, more formally, about it, search and, and, and verification, and network awareness. And I think those are, are not difficult. It's certainly harder to learn algebra. And I think most people who spend a lot of time online and manage to do that productively know how to do a lot of these things. But I think that there are a lot of people coming online every day who, who have not been given the opportunity to, to figure out how to use these, these media for their, their benefit and to, and to benefit the commons. So I put so that link, which I think you're looking, looking for, in the conversations.net conversations. uh, uh, page. Uh, and oh, okay. can I turn your mic off again? But I, I put that uh, link in there, it's the video. And uh, I, get the, I, I did get the feeling from the book that you were ultimately positive. At the same time, there was an interesting thread for me that uh, related to, um, uh, and I made a note about it, consumerism as a means of maintaining social order. And I think a lot of us who came into social media in the last few years have felt like we were sort of innately collaborative. And we were passionate and consumed by this as an opportunity. But more and more I'm seeing companies and individuals come in who seem to be driven by more traditional consumer mentalities. Uh, are we watching a shift, do you think, in the use of these tools as they become absorbed by institutions that are used to being more in control? You know, I think this is just a natural transition. Way, way back in the conversation, you mentioned technique. The, 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 uh, the word I got from Jacques Ellul, describing just the, the, the fact that when a more, not just even a tool, but a way of doing things, when a more efficient way of doing things comes along, it tends to colonize um, all other ways of doing things. And that's really why we're, we are talking this way. Uh, we, are, um, we are humans who are able to keep our kids from dying and to put moves over our, our heads because of this, this, this benefit of our, our ability to extend ourselves. Um, oh, you know what? I, got, I completely got lost in that thread. Coming back. Oh, yes, technique. So um, the problem with technique, with doing things in a more effective way, is it, it tends to take things over. And, and there are, are some things, people are noticing that now, the degree to which do you really have your, your spouse's attention when they're on their Blackberry? Do, the, do all our labor-saving devices add up to we don't have a minute to ourselves, to the, the, the fact that we've got our communication media, we've got our iPods, that means that we can fill every idle second of our, our lives, or have we lost that quiet time for contemplation? All of those questions are questions of technique or the instrumental, simply colonizing, not, not because it's evil, but because that's what happens when, when technique competes with other means of doing things. So, so people need to make conscious choices, um, and that, of course, is what a, a lot of um, religious and social norms are are about promoting varieties of those choices. But but the technology has moved so much more rapidly than our, our ability to to throw norms up as a, a firewall against them. So um, using uh, what 
were created to be collaborative media and have been very su successfully collaborative media as another way of manufacturing desire or hawking your brand. That's just sort of the natural uh, uh, procession of uh, who comes into a, a territory or how, how a medium is used. Well, I think I'm all for commerce. Um, I, I don't want to grow my own wheat and grind my own bread. I want to go down to the corner store and, and buy it. But I think that it's up to us, not up to the people who are trying to sell us things, to control the way we deploy our attention and to teach our children to recognize um, when they're being spammed. I, I, I don't think that we can stop this. I think that we need to create internal filters. And isn't that what education is about? It's learning, learning how to see the world in, in, in ways that build on what we've learned in, in, the, in the last several thousand years. Now that becomes fascinating because if the answer is education, then we feel, I think, particularly vulnerable that many of the people that, who, who are participating here in education are just learning about these tools themselves. Have we seen the adoption of a technology in any culture that we can look to as an example where there was a cultural dialogue about its adoption and sort of a successful resolution to, to use the technology well but not have it um, a, create negative um, uh, experiences that we didn't want? That's a very interesting question. Boy, do I, I wish I knew the answer to that. Now, of course, I wrote that article more than 10 years ago, I think, at this point, for Wired, uh, called uh, Look Who's Talking, uh, about the Amish use of mobile phones. And of course, the Amish do have a, a, a pretty sophisticated method of, of filtering what technologies they use and they don't use. They do use mobile phones, but they, they leave them outside the house. In fact, they often leave them in the, in the outhouse. They put, want to put it in their place. They don't want to be the kind of person who will answer the ring because someone they don't know is calling them away from attention to their family. It's literally why they leave the phones outside the, the house. They don't, they don't want to, to be interruptible by the outside world when they're with their families in their house. And, that, and, and I think that's an admirable value. The reason at, that as a community the Amish are able to, to make decisions about what technologies to use and stick to them is because they're a pretty um, homogeneous and, in fact, authoritarian society. The problem comes when you try to, to mix this kind of decision-making about are we really being humane in our use of technology with a, a, a diverse and heterogeneous and democratic society. People have different ideas. There are many people who love consumerism. So, you know, more, more power to them. I think when, to go back to education, that's where we have the ability to intervene. You don't really have to, to change the government or create some kind of new science or industry. We simply need to get the word out. Now, of course, saying, saying that it's simple is, is uh, an oversimplification, but I, I, I want to make it clear that I am not an optimist. I'm often accused of being an optimist. And I, I think I'm just too old and, and have spent too much time reading history to be optimistic at all about human prospects. But I do choose to be hopeful. I am, um, I seriously considered nihilism when I was very young. And I think that if you're a serious nihilist, then you don't become very 
old. So I chose a long time ago to think there must be some way out of here and I must have some role to play in helping us get out of what looks like an increasingly difficult situation. And after all, we are the descendants of people and organisms who, who figured out ways out of difficult situations. So there you are. I am not optimistic. I think the odds are against us. But I am hopeful because we figured out miraculous ways out of fixes before. So I was intrigued by your discussion of mindware upgrades and uh, the degree to which I've recognized that even Google Docs has actually transformed my learning and my life. Um, and I wondered if you come to the conclusion that the technology we're seeing, the technologies we're seeing, have the potential to transform our civilization to a degree comparable to what the printing press did. I think this is this is much bigger than the printing press. We, we, the, the printing press didn't reach. Was it four billion? people have mobile phones. There are a billion people on the internet. That's taken place in what, 20 or 30 years. As I understand it, there are about 30,000 books written by hand in Gutenberg's lifetime. And there are about 30 million books 50 years later. So this is, a, you know, a, 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 I think a, a much, and of course books are books. They're not just, uh, they're, they're not books and audio and video and software sent from anywhere to anywhere. So I think we're on to something that's much more powerful. Again, I think what was interesting with the, with the printing press were the, the cultural institutions that enabled literacies, that enabled people to use print and alphabetic literacy to create things like science and democracy. Why did that happen in Europe? Didn't happen in China or Korea where, where the technology of of print had been invented centuries before. I think it's not about the technology in those cases, but about the circumstances under which people learned. And, and there were circumstances, capitalism and Protestantism, um, uh, famously uh, among the driving forces that, and, and the competition among nation states in, in Europe, a lot of cultural and social forces came together with the technology and the literacy and enabled people to do things together. And of course, in smart mobs, that's why I thought the combination of the phone, the PC, and, and the internet was signally important because it, it seems like, seems like, and still seems like a way of, of dra dramatically lowering the threshold for collective action and dramatically expanding the number of people who can choose to act together to do a Wikipedia or a, um, a uh, uh, folding.stanford.edu or do it any or the web itself any number of the things that that we are benefiting from that come from millions of people using the tools to each contribute a little bit to something that adds up to a lot more so it's so go ahead we're, clearly we're doing that but I think both creatively and destructively so if we put those two thoughts together that this uh, is a very significant moment historically and it has the potential to move in good or, or bad directions, then those of us who are involved have a pretty critical role to play, potentially, in helping to shape how we use these technologies and how we think about them in terms of what they do to our civilization, thereby, I think, making education even more important. In, uh, we're, we've got two minutes to go in my allotted time, after which I want to open up for some questions. Uh, and we we're, we're definitely have a hard stop at the top of the hour. Um, Howard, what changes have you seen in social networking 
because you've been watching what has been called social networking for a long time, and those of us who are relatively new to it have a, have a perception of what it is now. But what have you seen in social networking, and where do you think it's headed? Well, let's not spend the whole time trying to define what we're talking about in terms of social networking. Let, let's just say that the, the vast, first of all, the vast expansion of the number of people involved, that's the quantitative change makes for a, a qualitative change. It makes for a lot of qualitative changes. It, you know, the, the saying, if, there, if you are one in a million, there's a thousand of you on the, on the Internet. And so that's, that makes for, for good and for bad very interesting changes just because of the sheer scale of it. I think also the, if I think many of the people who are participating here probably remember when the Internet was, was green text. So I, I think the addition of audiovisual media is, to, to me, what we're doing right now is still pretty magical. I participated in some of the early video online, See You, See Me, and it was so crummy. And uh, so I, I think that's very important. And I think something that happened from the very beginning has been multiplied. Again, the numbers make for qualitative change, which is that the tool makers and the tool users are co-evolving. So you see platforms like the Internet spawning the web, the web spawning search engines. We see social media platforms spawning things like Twitter, people building applications on Twitter for politics or for education. So uh, you know, I, I think that we're seeing a very rapid coevolution here. And I'm, I'm excited. I, I met you because of my participation online with social media. And I think those of us who do agree that the role of the educator, whether or not this takes place within school systems or not, is a, is a whole big other issue, that the role of the educator is very essential today. The, you know, what I got from um, uh, education as a subversive activity is the notion that when you're in a civilization that changes slowly, the role of education is to pass along what has worked traditionally, to the new generation, so they don't have to reinvent the wheels. But when you're in a civilization that is changing as rapidly as, as ours is, uh, passing along the old ways of doing things is no longer enough. Yes, you still need to learn algebra, but there's a whole lot of other stuff back to the liberal arts that have to do with learning how to learn in a in rapidly changing environment, learning how to adapt new media. I see a lot of people doing that on their own. I mean, there, there are millions of teenagers on YouTube who no teacher has taught them how to create new kinds of social forms and new forms of social collect, collective action. So um, I, I see a lot of hopeful opportunities for education from professional educators and from anybody who wants to, to help spread the skills around. Okay, well, okay. I've been clapping and cheering for you as you've been speaking. Okay, so we've got time probably for two quick questions. So if you've ever wanted to ask Howard Reingold a question, there we go. Martin has raised his hand quickly. Martin, I'm giving you the mic. Click on the mic button to turn your mic on and go ahead. Hi, this is Marty. I've uh, enjoyed the conversation. And um, I'm curious to what you think about the uh, role of uh, images, moving images, video, uh, photos, and everything. Because so many people are worried that people are not learning how to read and aren't doing the reading they should. But these are such visual media today. 
uh, this program is an example. Well, there's lots of answers to that. Um, there, you know, there are the, the ideas of multiple intelligences. There, there may be people for whom reading less and doing more visual communication is a, a more effective way for them to learn and to, to communicate. I think, you know, let, let, let 100 flowers bloom. The problem is, of course, is that educational institutions by necessity are, are, are sort of in the mass production um, business. But uh, I, I love uh, being able to do a screencast or a video uh, to, to get things across in a, in, a, in a more direct way, in a more visceral way, in an easier to understand way if you're talking about certain things. I also am, am very strongly believe that there are some things that you, you can only use text to do. How could you write a constitution just with images? So, you know, I think again it's back to a matter of literacy. It's knowing what the, the right uh, medium is for the the message, and, and I, I just saw the the, uh, the, the message from, from Peggy in the, the chat there. I think one thing that, that video does is for whether it's true or not, and I think most of the time it is true, it really helps deliver an authentic sense of the person on the other end of the communication. You, you can pose in all kinds of ways with text on a page that is difficult to pose uh, on video. And of course there are people who are very good at production values in video and who have great scripts who may never have had an original idea in their lives. But I think for the most part um, there's a, an authenticity to video communications. Okay, that's a great uh, way to finish up because we don't have any questions and hardware. One minute and you'll know that I did the right thing. I got you out on time. Okay, so let's clap for Howard Rheingold. That was terrific. Uh, I felt Howard reading you was like reading Clay Shirky or Neil Postman for me. Found like a lifetime discovery of somebody I was going to care about for a long time. There are lots of links on the conversations.net page for Howard. Uh, we're all going to become Howard Rangold fans, so let's keep the conversation going. Howard, thank you for coming. I'm going to allow you to sign off. Uh, we'll do a little bit of a wrap up for the rest of you, but Howard, uh, thanks for your time and have a great evening. And he's going back to multitasking. And we are going to quickly just give thanks to Illuminate again and to Learn Central for the interview series. Let you know about our interviews coming up. Uh, Gary Small in two days on Thursday, the author of iBrain, should be a very interesting subject as well. And Tim Westergren, the founder of Pandora, to talk about music and uh, copyright and the things that are changing in our culture and society. Uh, and you can see the rest of that fun list there. Please go to conversations.net and futureofeducation.com. So thank you for coming tonight. Uh, thanks everybody par for participating. I know this was a shorter session, but uh, it was sure fun to have Howard on. And I uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And we'll have the recording up in about a day. So when you leave the room, you will have pop-up on your browser. This is a new um, method to eliminate the survey for tonight's show. We do want to encourage you to fill that out. Uh, and that now will show up when you actually exit the room. So please go, go ahead and exit the room and uh, fill that out if you don't mind. Thanks, Terry, for being on the show. You didn't get to participate tonight. But hey, time was tight. I apologize. We'll, we'll give you the spot right. later. And it's OK. Feel free to go. I know. What was your question? Tell us your question was. Oh, my question. I was, I was actually I wanted to ask two. I had one on augmented reality because there's a, a lot of push right now and discussion about augmented reality on mobile applications. And the other one was on um, 
what he thought the impact was with real-time collaboration, adding that to the mix. Interesting. Well, those are good questions. Yeah, you know, another day, another time. <laughs> okay. Have a great dinner tonight. <laughs> Thanks. We'll, we'll see you later. See you Thursday. All right. All right. Ciao. Bye. Okay, for the rest of you, we have to actually kick you out of the room for the recording to process. So if you haven't left the room yet, in just about a minute, I'm going to actually have to close the room out. I, I wish we'd had uh, a couple of hours with Howard, but um, great material. And I get to, I haven't finished. Okay, so we have to kick you out of the room for the recording to process. I apologize for that. Go ahead and go to File, Exit, and Exit. So you'll see a survey when you when you do leave. And thanks for coming tonight.